your Bible to the middle. You'll find Psalms, and then the next book is Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, Prediker in Afrikaans, and then Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. Song of Solomon, Wichlid in Afrikaans. <coughs> and it's the whole book. It's eight chapters long, and I'm not going to go through the book verse by verse, but we're going to deal with different verses from the book. And I'm preaching on sexual fulfillment, continuing the series on marriage and family. Tonight, sexual fulfillment. If you switch off somewhere in the sermon and you give me a blank stare, to say, all right, I've heard enough of this, just hang on to the end of the sermon. If you're watching online, don't switch off. Don't pause me, please. I've heard people do that. If they, they, they're happy if they can watch me online because they can turn the volume down. Please don't do that. Uh, just hang on to the end of the sermon, and I think there'll be a great blessing, uh, especially closer to the end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you, the almighty Lord of glory, and we pray that you would now open our hearts to receive the truth, to not be embarrassed by a topic like sexual fulfillment, but to know this is also dealt with in your word. It is taught in the Bible, and we should learn from the right sources and not from the world. I pray that you would give us instruction in purity and in holiness regarding uh, sexual relations in marriage, and that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be honored and glorified. Amen. <clears throat> when I was 14 years old, uh, I was very embarrassed during a sermon on a Sunday evening because the pastor said he's going to preach on sex uh, that evening, uh, what scripture teaches about that. And he said that all the kids under 14, so 13 and younger, they can now leave after the singing was done. They can leave uh, the church building. They're going to another room where uh, they'll be taught Bible stories and so on. And kids 14 years and older, they must please. And then adults, obviously, they must stay. And I was 14 and I got up and thought, I'm not staying for this stuff. And I got up to leave. I was sitting right in front and the pastor said, Ivor, you don't have to leave. You can stay. And I remember it felt like my ears were glowing red. I was blushing. I was so embarrassed. Um, and I didn't want to stay. And now I had to stay. You know, it, it reminds me of in church history, in the Catholic Church, where nuns and monks, Nonna and Monica, and priests, they were thought very spiritual because they don't get married. So you're more spiritual because you don't have sex, uh, and that's for you know, people who are lower class spiritually. And that's what Paul warns against in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. He says these, in the last days, false teachings will come, doctrines inspired by demons. And these false teachers will come, and they'll say that you shouldn't get married, that's unspiritual. You shouldn't eat certain foods, that's unspiritual. But God created these things. God created everything good. And if we thank God for it, it is sanctified or made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now we come tonight to a book called Song of Solomon, and this is a book, it's a, it's a love song uh, about the love between a, a husband and his wife, and also about sex in marriage. Uh, some of you might remember this because uh, you were at a funeral not long ago of a lady who was in our church, and that lady at her funeral, they also said this, but I knew this beforehand, because she said there's one book in the Bible she refuses to read. 
and that is the Song of Solomon, Wichlid. So I say, I'm going to book to read. She couldn't understand why on earth did God put this book in the Bible. Um, you know, the Jews were actually forbidden to read this book. Jews were not allowed to read this book, a Song of Solomon, before they were 30 years old or before they got married. And one, uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's the word of God. And it's profitable. There's teaching in the Bible given to us. All the teachings of scripture are given to us so that we can grow spiritually. If Christians do refuse to talk on this topic of, of sex, if Christian parents do not teach their children, and it's very sad that many Christian parents don't teach their children, they're too embarrassed to talk about these things to their kids, and many Christian churches don't preach about this, they're too embarrassed to talk about the topic, and if we don't do it, guess who's going to teach your kids? Guess who's going to teach our people about this? The world. The government will teach our kids. It'll be put in our school curriculums where they teach our children nonsense, things that aren't biblic biblical when it comes to the topic of sex and marriage. They're going to tell you, you know, you should just uh, take precautions and uh, we don't even have middles and Engels can anyone help? Contraceptives. You shouldn't take contraceptives or, or you should just take contra just take contraceptives and then you can sleep with who you want. And that's nonsense. That is patently unbiblical. So we should teach our people. We should as Christian parents teach our children on the topic of sex and marriage and tell them what scripture says, what the Bible teaches and teach them what sexual fulfillment is in marriage. All right, so uh, if you have your Bible, Bible open, we're going to go to a number of uh, verses in Song of Solomon and Wichlid. So I'm going to give you some principles to show us what, what do we need, what principles we need to apply if you want sexual fulfillment. First principle is be married. Be married. Now, the world wants to teach you LGBT, lesbian um, and gay and bisexual and transgender and all the other things they've added, but LGBT and Hollywood wants to convince you, you can choose for yourself what is good sexually. And if you just follow that, you will have sexual fulfillment. That is a lie. Who created sex? God. And if God created sex, then God is the one who knows what is good and what is not good. What will bring satisfaction and fulfillment, what will not. God says sex is meant for a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in marriage. Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says that marriage should be held in honor among all and the marriage bed should be undefiled. The marriage bed should be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. I'm preaching on adultery next Sunday evening. So inside marriage, now there are a lot of verses, but I think it's going to take, a, it's going to be a long sermon if I go to all the verses. This one, I'm just going to mention the things that are in the book. But sex inside marriage, you can read Song of Solomon, you're going to find all these pictures. Sex in marriage is like good wine. It is like 
perfume. Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, chapter 4, verse 10. It is like sweet and crisp apples. It is like raisins. It is like a shady tree. Chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 5. It's like milk and honey. Chapter 4, verse 11. It's like a garden with a fountain of fresh fresh water, fresh spring water. Chapter 4, verse 12, 15, 16, and 5, verse 1. I'm going to get to that verse, those verses just now. <coughs> it's like pomegranates. You think, what in the world is pomegranates? Granata. It's a kind of fruit. It's like pomegranates. It's like uh, aromatic spices. According to chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, it's like picking dates off a palm tree. It's like picking grapes, going into the vineyard and picking clusters of grapes and eating them, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Outside of marriage. All right, so that, if that's what sex in marriage is like, what is sex outside of marriage then? Well, exactly the opposite. It's like filthy sewage water. It's like rotten fruit. It's like sour grapes. It's like a, a, a garden full of weeds and many other pictures. Sex outside of marriage cannot bring fulfillment. It cannot bring full satisfaction. That is why people who are sexually immoral, people who sleep around, and this girl sleeping with her guy, and that guy sleeping with his girl, and people who do homosexual acts, and all kinds of sexual immorality, people who are sexually immoral, they never satisfy. They always want more, and I want more. That's why they jump from one person to the next. I sleep with that woman, I sleep with that woman, I sleep with that one, that guy, that guy, that guy. And so they jump from one partner, <coughs> excuse me, to the next. People who are sexually immoral, they feel dirty. They feel guilty for what they have done. And then, obviously, the fear of getting caught. Because now you've done what you shouldn't do. You're afraid of getting caught. And then, very sadly, when the girl does get pregnant, what happens is now there's the, the disastrous thing of abortion, where now you murder the kid for your sin. Um, and... If she doesn't abort the child, if she doesn't murder the baby, or the husband, the, the, not the husband, the boyfriend insists on the take care of it. And what very, very often happens, he just disappears out of the picture. And then she's stuck. If she doesn't have an abortion, which is sin, she's stuck to raise the child alone. And then also, if you're sexually immoral, sex very quickly becomes the issue of contention. You're always fighting about sex. And in the end, if you take it to the full consequences, well, not quite. The furthest consequence, I'm going to get to that now, is eventually sex becomes to you what pizza becomes to someone who works at Roman's Pizza. I spoke to a woman at Roman's. I said, do you eat pizza? She says, no. <laughs> the first month, every day, every day, I just want pizza. And she says, now I don't even want to see pizza. And that's exactly what happens. If you're sexually immoral, sex becomes like that. It's not special anymore. It's, no, it's special no longer, and in the end it becomes revolting to some people. It disgusts them. And it might also happen that the Lord punishes you with a sexually transmitted disease. Proverbs 5 verse 11, you'll lie on your deathbed at the end, your body will be consumed, you say, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I accept discipline? Romans 1 verse 27, it says that you, they receive, and it's talking about homosexuals, they receive in their bodies the due punishment for their error. So in their bodies, they get sexually transmitted diseases. And then what is the final outcome of this all? If you're sexually immoral, what is the ultimate end of it? 
hell. Hell. Revelation 21, verse 8, the sexually immoral, their portion will be in the lake of fire. And then several other verses in the Bible. So if you want sexual fulfillment, where do you find it? In marriage. Chapter 8, verse 6. Chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. This is the wife talking to the husband. Set me as a seal upon your arm to, to say, here's the stamp, here's the seal. I am yours, you are mine, we are married, we are one. And it's very obvious this is a sexual relationship because in chapter 7, verse, verse uh, 6 and 7, he talks about the woman, she's his loved one and they delight in each other and then the, the husband says to the wife your stature is like a palm tree your breasts are like its clusters I'll climb the palm tree lay hold of its fruit oh may your breasts be like the clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples this is this is a sexual relationship that's quite obvious from these verses Proverbs 5 also verse 15 to 20 it says drink water from your own well why do you want to go and drink streams of water have you ever seen in Kempton Park when you see just a pipe has burst or you see sewage running down uh, the drain. Why do you want to drink that? It says, drink fresh water from your own well. Enjoy your own wife. And he continues in Proverbs 5. You can read that. Now, not all married people enjoy sexual fulfillment. I just said the first thing is be married. Get married or be married. But at least, even though all married couples don't enjoy sexual fulfillment, at least the potential is there because they're married and God has given this gift to married people. So it's within their reach. So if unmarried people have sex, that's like, that's like a whale thinking, I want to be on the beach. Why do I need to swim in the water? I want to go to the beach. You go to the beach, you die. And the same with sex outside of marriage. That's like the whale trying to go onto the beach. If you have sex outside of marriage, you are coming onto a terrain that you were not created for and it wasn't created for you. The beach was not created for the whale and the whale is not created for the beach. Sex is not made for the unmarried and the unmarried are not created for sex. And you will bear the consequences, like that whale will bear the consequences if he goes to the beach. Sex is meant for marriage. But it's not enough. It's not enough to just get married. If you want sexual fulfillment, you need to be faithful to your husband, sexually, and not only sexually, but you need to be faithful to your husband, you need to be faithful to your wife. It's, it's meant for each other, not for, oh, I'm married to this woman, but hey, look at that woman, look over the fence. Uh, hey, I'm married to this man, but look at that man. No. Be loyal to each other. Chapter 2, verse 16. 2, verse 16. If you can page there. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Chapter 4, verse 12. A garden locked is my sister. My bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. So my wife is like a garden that is locked. You can't unlock this garden. Who can, who can unlock the garden? Only the man who is married to her. Verse uh, 15. A garden fountain, a well of living water, flowing streams from Lebanon. Chapter 4, verse 16, right at the end. Let my beloved, she says to her husband, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its, cho eat its, its choicest fruits. So she says to the husband, this garden is locked except for you. You can come. Chapter 5, verse 1. 
The husband says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with its spice. I ate my honeycomb with honey, drank my wine with my milk. No one else should come into this garden. Chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Set me as a seal on your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Jealousy. Not jealousy in the, in the ugly sense of, I'm jealous of you, I want to destroy you. But jealous in the good sense of, I'm jealous for this woman. She's mine. She's not yours. I'm jealous for this man. This man is my husband, says the wife. He doesn't belong to you. And so it's that kind of jealousy. It's exclusive. If you, ladies, if you advertise your body by the way you dress in inappropriate ways, you dress in ways you shouldn't dress and you go to the shopping center and everyone can look at your body. If you advertise your body or, husbands, if you flirt with other women or if you view pornography or you watch dirty and filthy movies or you send pictures of yourself that you shouldn't send and you send it to other people or you ask other people please send me a picture of you in wrong and inappropriate ways if you commit adultery your wife your husband will feel betrayed in if you do any of those things they'll free they'll feel betrayed and the chances are good where's it going to end it's going to end in the divorce court now someone may say and there are, there, are, there are even people who call themselves Christians and they think in twisted way, ways like these. Someone might ask, but can't my wife and I or my husband and I, can't we view pornography together and it'll give a kick to our sex life? And the answer is no. That is unacceptable. Because now you are lusting after the person of, on the screen and you don't have a desire for your wife or for your husband. Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I say to you, everyone who looks with a woman at, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. And what that will lead to, it'll lead to selfish sex. Selfishness in sexual relations where what happens now, you are not... Uh, enjoying sex in the, in the biblical way of let me serve my husband or serve my wife. No, it is how can I satisfy my own lusts? And so it becomes selfish. And where that happens, and unfortunately you find this in marriage, where that happens, um, that husband, if he's not satisfied with his wife, his wife doesn't fulfill his satisfaction or his desires as he wants, then he'll, he'll satisfy himself. And he'll satisfy his own lusts. And eventually it becomes a vicious circle or a vicious cycle. What happens then? Your wife says, no, I don't want sex. And then the husband says, well, then I'll just satisfy my own lusts. And then the wife feels hurt and the wife feels betrayed. And then she says, well, then I, then I won't give you sex. And, and then she says, I've got a headache. I don't, want, I don't want sexual relations tonight. Or I'm tired. Or I don't feel like it. No, we can have it next week. Or, and then, then she starts manipulating her husband with sex. And she says, okay, I'll give you sex if you do this and this and this for me. I want this done in the house. I want this. And if you don't do it, you won't get anything. And in the end, what happens is the marriage bed becomes cold. It's just this boring place, no different from a cold marble slab in your kitchen. 
And before you know it's been six months, you haven't had sexual relations, six months, then it becomes a year, then two years, then three years, then five years, then ten years or longer. And there's been, there have been no sexual relations. And before you know it, one or both of you have committed adultery. So do not withhold sexual relations. Do not withhold sex from your marriage partner. Chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, you see this woman, she has a dream, and then the husband knocks on the door. She's in bed already. He knocks on the door. Please open, the door's locked. And she says, no, I've had a bath, and my feet are clean. I don't want to get my feet dirty. Uh, no, I don't want to open the door. And eventually, she does get up, and when she opens the door, he's gone. Because she's withholding sexual relations. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, Rulf read to us the, uh, before the, the sermon. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3 to 5. Do, you should give, as a husband, you should give your, it said, conjugal rights. That's just a big word for saying marital rights, sexual relations. You should give your rights, your wife's rights to her in marriage. You should give your husband his rights in marriage. Your body does not belong to you, woman. If you're married, it belongs to your husband. Men, gentlemen, your body is not your own. It belongs to your wife. And then it says the only reason you can withhold sexual relations from your husband or wife is if both of you, you've agreed together, you've agreed to say we're going to spend extra time in prayer. And then it says only for a short time, otherwise Satan will tempt you. You need to come together again. So don't hold, hold back. Don't withhold sex from your husband or your wife. And then, very important, confess your sins to one another every day. If you've sinned against your wife, not only sexually, maybe you became irritated with her or you said harsh words to your husband, then confess that every day. Sort out the bitterness. Sort out if you had a fight. Because if you are bitter toward your husband or toward your wife, and you have sex anyway, what, become, what happens then is now sex becomes a, an expression of lust and not of love. Because you're bitter, but you want sex. And then sex is nothing more than a biological function like eating a burger. Oh, eat a burger, have sex, same kind of. It's just a biological function then, and it's no longer something special. No marriage can be healthy. No marriage can be healthy if sins are not confessed and forgiven. You need to confess and forgive sins constantly because if you don't, that will have a negative effect on the marriage bed of the evil expect. You just look at Adam and Eve. They were naked and not ashamed. Genesis 2.25. What happened the moment sin came into the world? The moment they sinned, they hid their bodies from one another. You pervert, what are you looking at? You know, I'm not giving you sex. That's what happens. If you don't confess sins, if you don't sort out issues between husband and wife, it carries over into the bedroom. And sexual relations are affected negatively. All right, now question comes. What happens? You want to sort things out with your wife. You want to talk through issues because you've had issues. You want to sort these out. You want to get rid of the bitterness. You want to confess. You want to be forgiven. You want to forgive but your husband won't. And they're still withholding sex from you. Or your wife won't. I'm not going to give it to you. And I'm not sorting this out. Well, what you do then is you follow what the Bible teaches you. Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, go and talk to him. 
between you and him alone. Sort it out. If he, won't, if, he, if he listens to you, you want him back. If he won't listen, or she won't listen, then you get two or, one, uh, two or three, one or two persons to come along with you. So now they're witnesses. And if they still won't listen, then we bring it before the church. And we say, they've spoken about this. The husband won't give sexual uh, relation, or sex to his wife or the other way around. And we need to tell the church because they're disobedient to what the Bible teaches. And if they still won't listen, then we remove them from the church. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 18. So that's strong and that's serious. That's what happened in 1614, the first church of Boston. A man called James Mattock, they removed him from the church as a member for withholding sex from his wife for more than two years. I think many of these issues will be dealt with if we, if we follow that example. So if you want a healthy marriage, there are many things you should do, but one of the things, in order for a marriage to thrive, or to bloom, to bloom, to blossom, husband and wife should come together regularly. That is simply biblical. They need to be satisfied with one another. And if you're satisfied at home, you're not going to be tempted with candy floss at the office. You're not going to be tempted with candy floss at the neighbor's house. You're not going to be tempted with candy floss wherever. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, come together, husband and wife, so that you may not be tempted by Satan. Now, in saying this, I don't mean you should have fillet steak every night. I'm talking metaphorically, you understand. It shouldn't be, well, this is 10 out of 10. <laughs> it doesn't have to be 10 out of 10 every time. It doesn't have to be fillet steak and lobster, crayfish every time. It can be wheat picks. <laughs> it can be spaghetti and mince. That's fine. The, ult the ultimate goal of sexual relations is not to say, oh, we were on Mount Everest, you know, the highest of heights. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to serve your wife or to serve your husband and to satisfy their needs and to glorify God. And you might say, this is such an unspiritual sermon. We're supposed to be hearing about we should pray for three hours and read our Bibles. You're talking about sex. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So glorify God also in this aspect of life. Maybe there's some of you sitting here tonight, you have problems in this area of marriage as a husband and wife, and the reason is either one of you or both of you have an unbiblical view of sex. You don't have a right view of sexual relations in marriage, and that will especially be the case if you had sex before marriage. Very often that's the case. So you, had, you were disobedient to God, you were sexually immoral, you, had, you fornicated sex before marriage, and now your view of sex is what? It's selfish. It's selfish. It's about what can I get instead of what can I give. And that very often carries over into the marriage relationship. You did it before marriage, now it carries into marriage, and now you still got that view of what can I get instead of what can I give. Or maybe, maybe some of you have problems in your marriage in terms of sexual relations because you were raped. Um, as a, maybe a, a young person, a teenager, or maybe you were molested as a, as a child, and now you come into marriage and you feel dirty when you have sex. 
and you think this is so disgusting and this is filthy and these images, these things that happened with you as a young person, it's still turning and churning in your mind. Um, I think what you should do is you should go and see your spiritual leaders or you should talk to a mature, if you're a lady, talk to a mature Christian woman and say, please, can you help me? Maybe go and see a biblical counselor and ask for help. I, I think a very good application or good counsel in this matter, good advice is you don't need to feel guilty for someone else's sin. That person raped you or molested you, you don't need to feel guilty for their sin. It is not your sin, it's their sin. And you don't need to confess that even, to say, Lord, forgive me for being raped, forgive me for being molested. That is their sin. And so you are free in the Lord Jesus Christ as a person who belongs to Him. Some of you might remember last, was it? No, it was two years ago already. Uh, we, a lot of our church people went to a counseling day at Benoni or Bible Baptist Church in Benoni. And Joel James taught on counseling. And Joel James said in that he counseled a woman who was raped and she felt so dirty and guilty. And the problem was she thought God accepts her if she believes in Jesus, that he died for her sins on the cross. She trusts in him as her Lord and Savior, that he was raised from the dead, he's alive and can give her eternal life. So she's saved by, the, by faith in Christ, his death and resurrection, plus I shouldn't have been raped because now God won't accept me because I was raped. She had a wrong view of how God accepts us. He accepts us through Christ alone, not through this plus, this bad thing didn't happen to me. Okay, another question. What if you had an abortion and you feel so guilty and that's why, that's why sex, you don't have sexual satisfaction because this is bothering you. I had an abortion. I had an abortion. Well then, 1 John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can confess that and find forgiveness. Some of you might say, I really love my husband. I really love my wife. Truly, we love each other. We're good friends, but sexually it's just cold. I don't have desire. The desire is weak. It's like very weak rooibos tea. Just dip the... <laughs> the tea bag in and then it's like flavored dishwater. We don't have a desire and I think in that case, seek medical attention. Go for a full medical checkup, see if everything is fine, everything is right. And if that doesn't solve the problem, maybe the following will help. Number two, second principle, be best friends. I was at a, a marriage seminar for pastors and their wives and when we got to the topic of sex, the husbands and wives split up and this pastor spoke to the husband, the men, and, and his wife spoke to the ladies. They're an older couple of, in their early 60s. And as the guy spoke, he, wasn't, he didn't use bad language, a crass language, harsh language. He, it was very, what's he, Afrikaans like said, by a smartful, with good taste in the way he spoke about sex in marriage. And he didn't use many words, and he didn't have to say much, but all of us knew 
this guy and his wife experience sexual fulfillment in their marriage. And we all knew why. You look at that man and his wife, you just see them together everywhere. They're best friends. They spend time together. They do things together. That's exactly what you find here. Look at chapter 5, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 16. Second part. The woman says about the man, This is my beloved, and this is my friend. They're friends. That's what Adam and Eve was like before they sinned. They were friends. God created Eve to be a helper, as a companion for Adam. They were naked and unashamed. They were one in marriage. And that's how you should be in your marriage. If you want sexual fulfillment, be friends, not just lovers. Be friends. Isn't there a song? I don't know the words. Maybe I shouldn't. I've just heard the title. How can we be lovers if we can't be friends or something? Is it a bad song? Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay. <coughs> it doesn't help. It doesn't help. You want good sex at night, but in the day you treat your wife like trash. You treat your husband like rubbish, but now you want, good, you want sexual fulfillment at, at night. You need to be a good husband, a good wife during the day. So I want to tell the men and the women here, go back to the sermons that I preached on the husband's role and the wife's role and listen to those again and apply those sermons, the truths contained in them, the things I taught, apply them prayerfully. Pray about them and say, Lord, help me to apply it. And if you're a good husband to your wife, if you're a good wife to your husband, automatically there will be sexual fulfillment when it comes to the bedroom. Third principle, be romantic. Oh, look at the gentleman blush. Be romantic. There was a man in this church. He's not here anymore. He's in heaven now. But he died at the age of 68. And right up to his death, the people who know him will remember. Or the people who remember him will know this. You would see him and his wife stop at church for a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. And as they walked up to the front door of the church, you would see them holding hands. This almost 70-year-old couple. At that age, he would still open the car door for his wife. They would go out. He would take her out to dinner. They would go on holiday together. Romance is not only for the unmarried. Actually, it's more for the married. Romance shouldn't stop simply because you're now married and you don't need to win the woman's heart anymore. You look at this, this couple in, in Song of Solomon, Ian Wichley. They're romantic. They're romantic. They're married, but they're romantic. Just go to chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. He's the Wichlied, the grootste lied, the mooiste lied wat hy geskryf het. He writes a love song to his wife. You just read the book, it's full of love poetry. He writes poems to his wife. They go for a walk in the springtime. I can just see them holding hands, walking in nature. Chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. <coughs> the wife says in verse 10, My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. 
Flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. The fig tree ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom and they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. So you see the husband and wife going for a walk on a sunny morning or sunny afternoon. They go away on a weekend trip. He takes her away on vacation, on a holiday, chapter 7, verse 11 to 13. Come, my beloved, let's go out into the fields. Let's lodge in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyard, see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened, the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. My, the mandrakes give forth fragrance. Beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I've laid up for you. Oh, my beloved, it's all for you. It's all for you. So they go on holiday, enjoy one another's love. They enjoy kissing. Now we're really embarrassed. Chapter 1, verse 2. <laughs> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Chapter 4, verse 11. Now the kissing gets serious. Your lips strip nectar. Be careful, single people. <laughs> your lips strip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. This is biblical kissing. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of the Lebanon. And then it goes on, your lips are so desirable, and, and a number of verses in the book. They look into each other's eyes, chapter 6, verse 5. He says in chapter 6, um, verse 5, the following, oh, is he embarrassed? Okay. <laughs> chapter 6, verse 5, turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. They give one another pet names, Engel, Leafy, Floy, Floyus. Okay, but I mean, gebruik daar een goga. Goga. Okay, check. I can't even say goga, but you have to goga. I don't even say okay, don't you? Spin a copy. Chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. Chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove, oh, my daffy. <laughs> so pet names. They complement one another. Chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, Behold, you beautiful, my love. Behold, you beautiful. Your eyes are doves. She says to him, verse 16, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Now, if you like me, and you need to grow as a lover? Well, you need to ask God, Lord, help me. Help me to learn. Help me to apply this Song of Solomon in my own marriage. And start doing it. Start being romantic again. You did it when you got engaged. You did it just as newlyweds. Why did you stop? Hold her hand again. Go for a walk. When the sun sets, Open the car door. I needed to relearn that. I stopped it for many years. And I saw my friend, the way he treats his wife. He pulls out the chair for her when she sits at dinner table. And I thought, well, I can't pull out the chair for my wife because it's got rubber and it's tiles and it sticks. Uh, but I can open the car door for her and I started doing it again. It, at first it felt a bit awkward and forced, but I kept on doing it. Open the car door for her again. Uh, take her out for coffee. Go away for a weekend. Uh, kiss your wife. Hug your wife. You did it as newlyweds. Why did you stop? Why did you stop? Make yourself attractive for your husband. You know, not look like, you know, stay in your pajamas all day. <laughs> Make yourself attractive for your husband. 
Make yourself attractive for your wife. Smell fragrant. Don't smell like a horse coming from a barn, you know, living in the barn. Chapter 1, verse 3, your anointing oils are fragrant. And then continue on to um, chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How better is your love than wine. The fragrance of your oils are um, uh, more than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments. Smell fragrant. Have a fresh breath. Aqua fresh. There we are. Chapter 7, verse 8. Uh, end of the verse. The scent of your breath is like apples. You stink awesome, me. <clears throat> tell your wife, tell your husband, you're attractive to me. There are many of these passages. I'm not even going to go to them. He describes his wife. She describes her husband. Uh, one of the things that really uh, struck me, there are many beautiful, there's a lot of beautiful poetry, how he describes his wife, and she's so beautiful in her eyes and her lips and her teeth. And, and then he says about her teeth, it's like sheep being washed, and they all come out and they're bright, and not one of them's missing. You know, that's a big deal in those days. <laughs> not one of them's missing. They're all there. How beautiful. <laughs> And then talk about your sexual relationship with one another. Communicate about it. Tell your wife, I enjoy this. Tell your husband, I enjoy this. And that's especially important. Men, look at me. Listen to me. It's especially important for you men. Ask your wife. Talk to her about sexual relations. Ask her, what does she enjoy? Why do I say that? Because you are ready in three seconds for sexual relations. She's not like that. She's not like that. Talk to her. Talk to her. Treat her kindly. Uh, C.J. Mahaney says, before you touch her body, touch her heart and her mind. And I don't only mean in the bedroom. I mean throughout the day and throughout your marriage, in your relationship. Be kind to her. Help her in the house. Be gentle with her. Love her. And so on. And if your, if your husband loves you in that way, then embrace your husband and give him your love. Chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 3, verse 4. 4, 16, 8, 2. All those places you see the wife initiating sexual relations. So yes, the husband, but it's both husband and wife that can get the thing going and initiate the relations. And if both of you work in your relationship in this way, with time, your love will deepen. It won't cool down. Oh, yes just cooling down. We've been married for 17 years. Can you see it? <laughs> no, the, the love deepens. I can honestly say in every area of my marriage that the longer I'm married to my wife, I dearly love her and I love her more. And I don't say that bragging. I say it by the grace of God. The longer we are married, my, it's like the love just grows more and more. Chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. We've read that. It talks about love as strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. Verse 8, many waters cannot quench love, neither, neither can floods drown it. Um, so nothing, nothing according to those verses. No temptations, because he talks about a flood. The flood won't drown. Tempta uh, trials won't drown that marriage. Money, you can't pay someone and say, hey, give me a wife, I'll give you lots of money. No, you'll never get my wife. You'll never get me away from her. And it will burn like a fire, it says. A fire that cannot be quenched. You can't die for your blessing. 
because the love deepens and deepens and deepens in such a marriage. All right, finally, and I hope this brings everything together and helps the young people here. Uh, you've learned a lot about what the Bible says about sex in marriage, but hopefully this will reach the highest point of all. Number four, fourth principle for sexual fulfillment, be committed to Jesus. Be committed to Jesus. Doug Wilson says, lust demands from a finite thing, a beperkte ding, a hartse ding, lust demands from a finite thing what only the infinite God can provide. It's like that woman. You remember the woman sitting at the well and Jesus comes and he starts talking to her and where did she try and find satisfaction in her life? Sex, men. Jesus said to her, you've had five husbands. Now you're on to husband, or not even husband number six, just man number six. You're sleeping with him. You're living with him. You're not even married to him. You think that can satisfy you and bring you happiness, and it doesn't. You've gone from one man to another, and you probably will leave this man too, is I think where Jesus would have gone if uh, the conversation went that far. But Jesus says to her, only I can bring ultimate satisfaction in your life. Drink of the water I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. It'll become in you a well of, uh, a wellspring of life or a fountain of life springing up to eternal life. So when you read the Song of Solomon, look further than sexual relations. Kijk voorbij seksuele verhouding. Nie voorbij nie, sien het raak, maar kijk verder is dit. Moe nie daar stop nie. And what I mean by that, I don't mean, oh, go to every passage in the Song of Solomon and try and see Jesus in it. That's what some people have done and they've really twisted the Bible in that way. So that's not what I mean. What I do mean is don't spiritualize every verse. What I do mean is just take the book as a whole. This is about the love between a married man and a married woman. Look further than that and say, oh, Paul tells me in Ephesians 5, oh, the greater love. This is just a shadow of a greater love between Jesus and his bride, the church. So that's what you should see here. So for instance, you see this man, all these verses we've looked at, you see the, the bridegroom here, what he does for his wife, and you see, oh, so that's the kind of thing Jesus would also do. Just like the wife draws his wife and says, come with me, follow me. So Jesus draws us to himself. Just like in that's chapter 1 verse 4 that it says the husband draws his wife. Just, just as this husband, he spreads his love like a banner over his wife. Chapter 2 verse 4, that's what Jesus does with us. He covers us and smothers us in his love. Just like this husband, he desires the beauty of his wife. Isn't that what Jesus does with us? He purifies his church. And then he desires the beauty of his church and says, my beautiful one, you are my child. You are my bride. Just like this husband, he seals the wife. She says, Sit me as, put me as a seal upon your arm. I've got a seal on my finger saying, I belong to this woman. And chapter 8, verse 6, put me as a seal upon your arm, something you put around your arm. They didn't have wedding rings like these. That was their wedding ring, if I could put it like that. That's what Jesus does with us. He seals us with his Holy Spirit to say, you are mine. You belong to me. Just like this man, he loved his wife to death. He said in chapter 8, verse 6, 
Not even death can separate this. He says love is stronger than death. Jesus loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even death. He protects us in his love. Just like this man, he says in chapter 8, verse 13 to the woman, let me hear your voice. I want to hear your voice. Isn't that what Jesus says to his bride? Let me hear your voice. Speak to me. Come to me in prayer. I desire to hear your voice. Now let's switch it. Let's flip it. And we're coming to the end now. Let's flip it. Just like the wife in this book, just like she does for her husband, so we should respond to our heavenly husband, to the heavenly bridegroom Jesus. Love him with everything in you. She says to the husband in the book, chapter 2, verse 5, 5, verse 8, I'm sick with love. Chapter 7, 12, and 13. Oh, my heart is so filled with love to you. She calls him, my beautiful one, how pleasant you are. Loved one with all your delights, he calls her also. And so we should, uh, 7 verse 12 and 13, she says, I will give you my love. Shouldn't we say to Christ, our bridegroom, shouldn't we say the same, Oh Lord, I love you with all that is in me. I love you because you first loved me. 1 John 4, 19. Just like this wife, she desires her husband. She wants to be with him. She wants to feel him near. She desires him especially when she doesn't feel him near. Chapter 3, verse 1, she has this dream and she says, Oh, you feel so far away. Where are you? I wish I could be with you. Chapter 3, verse 1, I sought him, but I didn't find him. Shouldn't we, we do the same with Jesus? And say, just as a buck, just as an antelope in the desert, he thirsts for water. Oh, so my soul thirsts for you, O Lord my God. So I desire you. So I want you. I want to be close like the Apostle Paul. I desire to be with Christ. It is far better. Just like this wife in the book. She, she adores her husband. She tells him how wonderful he is. Shouldn't we do the same? She tells her husband, there's no one like you. You're the best. You are the best of 10,000. Distinguished among 10,000, chapter 5, verse 10. Shouldn't we say to Jesus, Jesus, you are number one. You are everything. You are my all. I desire you above all. Just like the wife, she says to the husband, I am yours and yours alone, and you are mine. She says in chapter 2, verse 16, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. Chapter 6, verse 3, my dove, my perfect, or 6, verse 9, my dove, my perfect one, the only one. 6, verse 3, I am my beloved's, he is mine. Chapter 8, verse 6, set me as a seal upon your arm. Shouldn't we say to Jesus the same thing? I am yours, you are mine, my Lord and my God, not just Lord and God, my Lord and my God. And he says to us, you are mine, you belong to me, I purchased you, I bought you with my blood, you belong to me. Just like this wife, she missed an opportunity in chapter 5. He knocked on the door, she didn't open. And later on she thought, okay, let me go. And she opens the door and he's gone. Don't miss the opportunities with your heavenly bridegroom. Where Christ knocks at the door, chapter uh, Revelation 3 verse 20, I stand at the door and I knock. Open the door to him. Have fellowship with your Lord. He's your savior. Don't miss the opportunity. And then adore him as your shepherd. Chapter 1, verse 7, she adores him, and she says, Oh, the shepherd, where do you pasture your flocks? Chapter 5, verse 16, my beloved and my friend. Isn't Jesus your, your shepherd? Isn't Jesus your beloved? Isn't Jesus your friend? The Lord is my shepherd. 
Doesn't John 10 say he lays down his life for the sheep? Doesn't Jesus say in John 15, you are my friends? And then finally, asking to come to you quickly. Chapter 8, verse 14, she says to the husband, she says, make haste, my beloved. She says, come, come quickly. Shouldn't we say the same to our Lord, our heavenly bridegroom, O Lord, come. Come and come quickly. I desire your presence. I want to be with you forever. And if you grow in your relationship with Jesus in this way, guaranteed, if husband and wife grow in your relationship with Christ in this way, what's going to happen if this relationship is right? What's going to happen to this relationship? It'll be right. And it'll even carry over into the marriage bed. Healthy sexual relationships or relations. And above all, it's not going to be, number one, this, rela- this desire. Number one desire will be for Jesus, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you'll be like James Henley Thornwell. Let me close with a story. James Henley Thornwell was a pastor in the 1800s in the USA, the United States. And listen to the sad thing that happened. With pride in his heart, not sinful pride, but just I'm so proud of my daughter, he announced my daughter's getting married. And he was so happy that his daughter's getting married. And within weeks following that, she got terminally ill, terminal, she was on her deathbed, and all the people who were invited to the wedding didn't come to a wedding, they came to a funeral. But as she was lying on her deathbed, her dad said, oh, my daughter, such tragedy. And she said, Father, do not weep. I am my Savior's. The Lord is my Savior. And he said, I know my daughter, but this was supposed to be your wedding. And she said, Father, I'm going to a better wedding. I'm going to my bridegroom. And she died, and they buried her in her wedding dress. And on her tombstone, was written these words, Opichrafstian, as a bride prepared for her bridegroom. Listen, to see the Lord Jesus Christ and to be with Jesus one day is better than any sexual fulfillment you can have in this life. So what then should you and I seek? What should you and I be after first of all? Not sexual fulfillment in marriage, but satisfaction and joy in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, glory, honor, and praise be to you. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Our desire is to be with our heavenly bridegroom, now and forevermore. Amen.